Sometimes I take a Bible reading along with the message, but this morning I'll just follow your general pattern, the one that you're used to here, and take the reading just now. But as you're already aware, I'm speaking on the subject of fellowship in the gospel, and if you have a passage of, uh, if you have a Bible with you, or you use your phone or whatever, and want to follow the reading, it's from Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through to verse 47. Normally I read 42 to 47, but 41 gives it a little bit more context, because Peter has been preaching to the gathered crowd uh, together. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Before we listen uh, earlier on that... Um, Sometimes I'll come to, I've got an invitation to preach, and I pray about it, and I'm asking God, what do you want me to preach on? And it kind of just bounces back onto me, and God gives me the choice, as it were, and I think, well, I'll just preach on that, and, and sometimes I'll go back to a time when I've preached it before, and see how I handled it, and then readapt it for the new congregation. This time, I sense that the Lord wanted me to preach on fellowship in the gospel, and it was one of those, I thought, that's a clear one, okay. I know this means hard graft, so I've been spending quite a bit of time and a few hours uh, working on this during the week, uh, and um, I believe that God must have a reason for this subject to be preached today in this congregation, and I think the proof of everything is at the end of the service, if it really connects with either an issue for an individual or for a congregation, then that's the evidence that God is actually speaking uh, in a particular way at a particular time for a particular reason. So we've got the first slide there. I'll get my gadget out in my pocket here, and hopefully I'll be able to operate this thing when I start moving through the various um, slide images here. Those of you who, um, well, there's quite a number who are in my age territory here, uh, reach this stage in life, realize that the most important things to us of all are our relationships. I'd be very surprised if anybody disputed that. Well, the evidence is if you ever see these movies where uh, a ship is sinking somewhere or a plane is about to fall out of the sky, uh, somebody is on the phone somewhere or somebody's passing on a message to somebody and it's never, please remember to renew the house insurance or make sure my car is washed every week. It's just tell them that I love them. Uh, and that's really the, the words that would be on anybody's lips when it comes to the moment we think my life's coming to an end. 
our thoughts turn to not things, but to people who really matter to us. And it's such people that we invest our time with. Closest friends don't come overnight. Uh, They're like um, something that matures. Friendships mature over the years as we invest greater trust in one another. And in a sense, we could think of friendships as fellowship, though fellowship in the gospel is different again to that. The supreme relationship that we have of all, of course, is our relationship as Christians with our Heavenly Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is a relationship to continue to take care of as best we can, because I think it's our greatest asset and most valuable possession in this world. The Bible has a word for this kind of relationship, which is fellowship. Sometimes it's translated as communion, but there is... um, Oh, got that. That's working okay. Good. Um, The word fellowship in the the Greek, uh, we'll come to that in a moment, but it describes that the the fellowship that we have, uh, this Bible word, uh, describes that we have fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. What is this fellowship that we have with God uh, that I'm describing to you here? Well, the word is You'll be familiar with it. Some of you, most of you probably will be familiar with the word koinonia in the Greek, which essentially is a sharing in something together with someone in friendship, where there's friendship in that relationship. It's not just a matter of, well, that's yours and this is mine. It's a matter of enjoying things together. You can imagine it in a fellowship meal where people have food and they share it together and they're good friends, and there's great conversation, and there's a wonderful atmosphere. It's a good picture of what fellowship is like. Uh, Fellowship in the gospel is a step further than simply fellowship. Peter, James, and John, in a sense, had fellowship together as fishermen. They would go out together. They shared in this occupation, and they shared in the proceeds of it. Sharing in the gospel is a step further than that. And I believe that the Lord wants to remind us of um, the nature and value of fellowship that we share as brothers and sisters in Christ today. This word fellowship can be understood in different ways. The word communion is one of the translations of it. But it's rooted in the covenants. If we go to the Old Testament, the fellowship that is established between believers and between believers and God uh, was first established by God through the covenants. God entered into a covenant relationship with His people. Uh, I will be, uh, you will be my people, I will be your God kind of thing. There was a relationship that was established there. And it was symbolized by the presence of the Ark of the Covenant, which was with the people. Uh, That was a symbol of God being present with His people in relationship with them. But also in the Old Testament, there are examples of God having a relationship with individuals. We read in Deuteronomy 34, verse 10, the Lord knew Moses face 
to face. Uh, and that is, that was almost unique, as it were, in their day and age. But one of the wonderful things that we find in the Old Testament, particularly in the prophecy of Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, and I think it's in verse 34, yes, where we read that in his prophecy that a day would come, a time was coming when God's law would be written on the hearts of believers. And Jeremiah says, and from the Lord, they shall all know me. And we have that relationship with our heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. We, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, uh, Jesus Christ, and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We have that fellowship, like that of Moses, with our heavenly Father. So, that fellowship or that acknowledgement of his presence is not an external um, observing of particular rituals. It is an engagement with our Heavenly Father in conversational prayer, where we come to God as, inverted commas, our friend. Not as our equal friend, not in any sense of bringing God's glory down somehow or minimizing anything of the majesty of God, but certainly not as our enemy or one who is remote, but one, if we were to see the face of God, it would smile upon us. I'm just moving on with my slides here. We didn't have this fellowship with God uh, before we became believers. It was only when we became believers that we entered into an inheritance together uh, as believers in Christ. And this is something that we share we belong to the fellowship of believers. We belong to the church. We belong to the Lord. And in that belonging, we share an inheritance from God together. God includes us. And if God includes us, then we ought to include one another. Fellowship with God and fellowship with one another go in hand. And in fact, I'll come to this in a little while. If our fellowship with one another breaks down, it has an impact on our fellowship with God. And if our fellowship with God breaks down, then we, it impacts on our fellowship with one another. We share in this blessing, this inheritance together. And if so, then we ought to be welcoming always of one another, whether we perceive that there are differences that could somehow trigger prejudices within us. If deep down in our sinful nature there is something about another believer who has been accepted by God that we struggle with because of our sinfulness, it can be difficult to overcome whatever prejudices we may have in order to be inclusive of others who have been welcomed by the Lord. Let's go to Acts 2, 41 to 47, and take a little bit of a look at this, a deeper look at this, because in it we have a description of what fellowship in the gospel looks like, or certainly looked like, in the time of the early church. It's after the preaching of Peter that so many were 
became believers, 3,000 men, I don't know how many women and children on that day, added to the church. This is a big church. And there's a, a large number of people continuing to be added to the church, and each of them begins to share this fellowship with God and with one another. And they did it in a way that meant sharing literally with one another. So what did it look like? Well, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We find that. What was the apostles' teaching? We think of the apostles' teaching as perhaps the Bible, but the Bible as we have it was not in their hands in that way at that time. Perhaps a summary of their teaching can be found in 1 John chapter 1 and verses 1 to 4 where we read this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life, that life, the life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. They preached Christ. They preached eternal life. And they preached of the fellowship that could be, could be given to those who received Jesus as their Lord and Savior too. They taught what Jesus had taught, the Gospels. And they did it in a way that showed uh, how to put the teaching of Jesus into practice. They unpacked the meaning of the Old Testament Scriptures with particular reference to the greatest commandments and the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, then they... Uh, they eventually wrote letters, and we have these letters, and these have become to us the Word of God, and in the epistles we have something of the teaching of the early church. They devoted themselves to this. It's a strong word, and perhaps I should have emphasized that when I read the passage. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It was a mark of their fellowship together. And these were first-hand witnesses, the apostles, of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. They received, they committed to us what they had received from the Lord. Some time ago, I was driving my car, and I came across a lever I didn't know was there. And I thought, oh, what does that do? And I started poking around with this lever, and all of a sudden the radio came on, and I thought, how much about this car I, do I not know? Well, I'm a bloke, basically, and what blokes do is they don't read the manual. They just get on with the, the gadget and see what they can, and then discover later that perhaps there's things they didn't know about it that they could have learned before if they'd actually had a look at the handbook first. There are still things about the car I'm driving I don't know about, and there are still things about my computer I don't know about either, just simply because I haven't read the book. Maybe I should just preach this sermon to me and actually apply it in terms of reading the manuals. But certainly what I don't neglect is reading the Word of God 
Because that's God's handbook for your life and my life. And it's when we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the reading of the Word of God, that we discover things that we didn't know about. We discover some amazing truths in the Word of God which are of a real encouragement to us. For instance, um, what we, we find in Hebrews 3, verse 14, it tells us we have come to share in Christ. Unpack a little bit of what that means. 1 Peter 1.14 tells us we have been given an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. These are marks of fellowship with God. The sharing of something with someone where there is friendship in friendship. An inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. 2 Peter 1 verse 4 uh, tells us we may participate in the divine nature. That doesn't mean we become God or God somehow is diminished from his, uh, his transcendent being. But there is a participation in the divine nature in that Christ is in us as well as with us. And 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, uh, if we walk in the light, as was read at the beginning of the, uh, of the service here, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another... And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I mean, these verses are worth meditating on because these are ours. So just like that little lever I didn't know was there that did all kinds of things if I used it. If I had read in the manual, I would have discovered that and I could have enjoyed what it does and found it helpful. The same is true when we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves also to uh, the fellowship. They knew that they didn't only share these blessings with God, they shared these blessings with one another. And uh, so move on here. We've got this description, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. It's not quite as simple as that. I look at this passage here as a description, not a prescription. The difference being that this describes what they did. It doesn't necessarily prescribe, prescribe what we should do in exactly the same way without taking into uh, consideration the context. A world in which there was no social security, there, were no, there, there was no effective taxation system that would um, look after people uh, in, in, in need. Although I would say that in our day and age, and you, I'm sure you will agree with me, that over the, the, the last decade at least we have seen uh, greater and greater poverty in our country and an increasing use of food banks. There is a place of expressing fellowship in this way or in whatever way is appropriate given the inequalities and the needs that we see, especially amongst the people of God. There was a practical outworking for the fellowship here. And there is still a measure of application from this in a practical outworking for churches, not only amongst believers within one church, 
but in between churches, and not only in a nation, but throughout the world. And it's encouraging to see on the website the interest the church has taken here in the work that's going on in India and the way in which fellowship is shared in very practical ways, uh, including the financial giving that goes towards the betterment for the lives of others as part of the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Ultimately, whatever wealth God enables us to have, we are merely stewards who have a responsibility to use it in ways that bring honor and praise to God. I'm not taking these necessarily in the same order as we find in the passage here. They devoted themselves to prayer. I'll include that just at this point, and I'll be brief on this one. Um, the only thing I could uh, really wanted to speak about in terms of fellowship in prayer was something from the Lord's Prayer. I wonder when the church, the early church, began to use the Lord's Prayer as a litig liturgy in their worship, as sometimes our congregations do today. But the one part I felt uh, led to, to focus on in the context of fellowship is with uh, these words here, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. In devoting themselves to prayer, then surely in the context of fellowship together, this would from time to time have been highlighted. I used to look at this passage of Scripture and think, oh dear, if I don't forgive my brothers and sisters in Christ, I'll lose my salvation. Don't think that's what it means. I think what that actually means is, inasmuch as we're unwilling to forgive our sins, uh, sorry, forgive the sins of others, um, then that will affect our relationship with others, and it will affect our relationship with our Heavenly Father in the same way. To put it bluntly or crudely, well, if you're not talking to Him, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> That kind of way of affecting our relationship. We're not going to expect God to answer our wonderful flowery prayers in a congregation if we're withholding forgiveness to a brother or sister in Christ who has offended us, and it is within our power to choose to forgive. It is an aspect of our fellowship. If we want rich fellowship, then we must always, must always be willing to forgive and to receive the forgiveness of others and acknowledge when we have offended others, even if we feel we maybe, maybe weren't at fault, to at least say, I'm sorry for the hurt that you've experienced as a result of, of, of me. Keep the relationships as sweet as you can, because as sweet as they are will be as sweet as our fellowship with God. And they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. This would have been basically sharing food together to begin with. It developed into what they called the love feast where everybody would bring their own food here and there and they would gather it all together and Paul addresses this in Corinth and says, you know the people who are working the back shift, who have got the lower jobs, lower paid jobs, who are turning up at the end, they're turning up and there's no food left because you've all been guzzling it. Uh, that's my paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 10, by the way. Um, 
But that, that was the way, that, that is exactly what he meant when he, when he addressed this. It was a reference to the love feast that they shared together. And in the context of that, communion was shared, the breaking of bread and the, and the drinking of the cup in remembrance of him. Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians 10. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, he describes communion. He describes this as communion in the body of Christ. And that word communion, what is it in the Greek? Koinonia. Communion, fellowship. The word koinonia used as a description of what we will do at the close of the service here, breaking bread together in remembrance of him. That is fellowship. When God met with Moses, he met him between the cherubim. What am I talking about here? Exodus 25, verse 27, there's a verse here. There, above the cover, between the cherubim that are over the Ark of the Covenant, that are over the Ark of the Covenant, Law, I will meet with you. That's where Moses met with the Lord face to face. What's the significance of meeting between the cherubim? These two cherubim were on top of the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant was a gold slab with cherubim each side. And on the Day of Atonement, when the blood of an animal was slaughtered for the sins of the people, the blood was splattered on top of the Ark of the Covenant in between the cherubim. And it's when, to quote from the Passover, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you, going back to that that particular period of time. But it was in the sacrifice, the blood, the death, the atonement was made. And Moses meets with the Lord between the cherubim where atonement is made. That's where we meet with the Lord together when we break bread together. It is almost like Moses meeting with the Lord face to face in between the cherubim, where atonement is made as we eat the bread and share in the cup together. We have that closeness of fellowship with God and we celebrate it in the same way. Let's not miss the outworking of this. At the end of the passage, we see, we read these words, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Psalm 133 tells us how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. My exhortation to you as brothers and sisters in Christ this morning is invest in the fellowship. Recognize the great riches that are yours and mine in Christ. Shared together with other believers. We are the people of God. We are the Lord's people. We are 
set aside by God through the grace of Christ uh, to be His own treasured possession. This is who we are in Christ. Let's see one another. Let's look upon one another as the Lord looks upon us. And if there is one particular issue which God has touched upon in your life, that you, you, you are aware that this is a word for you, walk in the light of it and walk in the freedom that can be yours and the blessing that God will pour out upon your life. If there is a point at which you need to repent, you need to turn from something that you have been doing that is wrong towards something that is right in order to have that close fellowship with God which is described here and enjoy his presence. Yes, be, have the fullness of joy that comes in sweet fellowship with the Lord and with your brothers and sisters in Christ. I speak into that uh, this morning for you, brothers and sisters, as a fellowship here. Live who you are. Be who you are in Christ. And the more that is so, the more attractive this fellowship will be in ways for bringing others whom the Lord will save. I'm going to hand back to Jason. I think he's going to help us with the next hymn before we break bread together. Thank you. That's our call to 